0: Welcome to MHBC Book Club.
1: My name is Connor Alford. And I'm Ryan Von Cannell.
0: Alright, well welcome back to uh, week four of our MHBC podcast. As we're looking at uh, MHBC Book Club, we're looking at Dane Ortlund's book, Uh, Gentle and Lowly. So excited to be spending another week in this... In this book, Ryan, have you enjoyed the book so far?
1: Yeah, it's been good so far. I've enjoyed it. What, this is, I guess, we're four chapters in now. This might have been my favorite chapter we've had so far, but it's, it's been pretty good.
0: It is really good.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this week, what we're looking at is
0: Jesus, his ability to sympathize with us. And that is such a huge key thought in how we look at Jesus and how we process who Jesus is. And so to begin, I want to read scripture for you. It's uh, the the verse that Ortland really digs into is verse 15, but I think he, he kind of talks about verse 14 and 16, so I want to speak to those as well. So I'm just going to read for us so we kind of have a framework for what he's talking about today. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so Orland's really speaking to this truth that uh, Jesus is... Um, sympathetic to our sin, to our struggle, because he was tempted and he was tried in his time on earth. Ron, what do you think about the chapter? Kind of give us a synopsis of what it's about, but also kind of what it meant to you.
1: Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed this chapter. As I said a moment ago, I thought this might be uh, might be my favorite one so far. Um, and so, really, just kind of how the book has gone so far. He kind of talked about really the theme of um, that the heart of Christ is that he is gentle and lowly. And then we've really seen him kind of explore that a little bit. And uh, he, he dove into the happiness of Christ we saw last week. And then um, he dives into um, to Jesus and his ability to, to sympathize and empathize with us um, in our weakness. And uh, and he really draws a lot from Thomas Goodwin's The Heart of Christ in this chapter um, and He just talks about that um, Jesus has this solidarity with us and with his people um, because he's been tempted as we are. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows the things that we go through, um, and so we can go to him. And, um, and I just really enjoyed it. One, because this is its really one of my most favorites, favorite Christian doctrines, this idea that Jesus can empathize with us. And I really, you know, there's a lot of things that make Christianity so unique, things like the Trinity and um, things like the Incarnation. But this specifically, and it's kind of a part of the incarnation, but this idea that, that God can empathize with us and that, um, that in many ways He is one of us, um, yet without sin, um, that's just so unique to Christianity. That's so different than, than, uh, than how so many people think of God. Um, and so I really just enjoyed this chapter and getting to kind of contemplate that, um, that just wonderful truth that Jesus can sympathize with us. So tell me, you talk about the solidarity of Christ. Explain that
0: for folks who may not be as in reference with that. What would you mean by that, especially?
1: Yeah, and it really, um, it kind of just really means that Jesus is like on our side, that, right. he, that he identifies with us. Um, and, and it's not just that Jesus identifies with us out of ignorance or something, but that he fully understands kind of the human condition and what it's yeah. like to be a human being and, and what it's like to struggle and what it's like to go through temptation. Um, and when we talk about that, we always have to be careful there to distinguish between kind of the humanity of Christ and the d- divinity of Christ, mm-hmm. because you know, yes, he, he knows what it's like to be human, you know, but, but as kind of the passage says, yet Jesus was tempted yet without sin. And so we have to right. be careful to remember that and not kind of try to imply that somehow Jesus ever gave in to temptation or anything like that. But that's really kind of what solidarity yeah. means is that Jesus identifies with his people. Cool. Yeah, I just want to
0: make sure, you know, with that, with our folks, part of what we're doing in explaining this book is we know there's some difficult theology in here and Ryan and I throw out the word solidarity all the time because we're Bible nerds, but we know that for a lot of you guys who are listening or watching, that's not like part of your normal vocabulary when you talk about Jesus. And so thank you for that, Ryan. Um, I love in the very first page, this page 43, you know, um, Ortlund, he relies on Thomas Goodwin a lot, doesn't he? Like every chapter brings up Thomas Goodwin a good bit. Uh, Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I think it's just, um, well, it's really just kind of going back to the good old Puritans. It's really kind of like a, you know, that's... That's a cool thing to do, like in evangelicalism right now. Is everybody just loves the Puritans? They, they are awesome. And Thomas hey Good me man, one. I'm gonna be
0: writing on one of them here. I start yeah. my dissertation in another year, and or really another a couple of months, and I'll be writing on one. Which you know, when you tell somebody that uh, um, that you're gonna write a dissertation on a Puritan, people automatically just—I know—they think, "Wow, you must be really fun at a dinner party," you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, like you. It's just when, you, when you're in school, you learn about the Puritans, and they were just so straight-laced and even such a terrible connotation with, you know, the Scarlet Letter and books like that. But uh, really, the Puritans, I, I love this fact, and I've, I've talked about this with Brian before. They had this incredible way of taking a particular book of the Bible, uh, or uh, excuse me, a verse of the Bible— and, like, they would write hundreds of pages on that one verse. It's mm-hmm. unreal. Like, I Absolutely. can't imagine doing that. And so, but they would just take that verse and write hundreds and hundreds of pages. And this guy, Thomas Goodwin, uh, actually, and, and the way that the author describes it, Dane Orland, he says it's like they wrung that verse dry. They just, that they, they really spent as much time in it as they possibly could. All the applications that they could possibly get out, all the implications, everything that they wanted. Uh, to 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 write out of that, um, but one of Thomas Goodwin's books that uh, was written, the Heart of Christ, is is this verse uh, in Hebrews four fifteen that we're talking about today. And so know that that Ortland is talking about Goodwin like the whole book. He relies heavily, too heavily at some points. I really mm-hmm. think,
1: yeah. I but he relies
0: so. heavily on Goodwin throughout the book. But in this chapter, we see. Goodwin wrote an entire book on Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So it's pretty powerful. You know, someone to write hundreds of pages on this verse. It'd be worth reading and going back and looking at it. So.
1: Yeah. And, um... You know, if you've never read any of any Puritan writings and whatnot, you know, you can get a you know, they really do just plumb the depths of Mm -hmm. a verse of a Mm -hmm. particular passage and you really can get a sense of it in this title uh, for the book that he puts here. We keep referring to it as Thomas Goodwin's The Heart of Christ, but the real title is The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth or a treaty demonstrating the gracious disposition and tender affection of Christ in this humane nature now in glory unto his members under all sorts of infirmities, either of sin or misery. I really just wanted to read that. The <laughs> so, so mean, a book for the title, basically. Yeah, right, like it's it. longer than like some of your sermons. Right. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So, well, tell me what you like about this chapter here.
0: Connie. So, I, I, you know, I preached a sermon this week, um, and part of what I talked about, and really in every every service, one of the most comforting truths is that Christ sympathizes with us in our weakness, mm-hmm. both in our sin and both in our hurt. And so out of that, like both of, uh, you know, this truth that Christ has been there uh, where where we've been tempted, although he's, he's resisted that every single time, and he's been there where we've hurt and where we've struggled, that's a huge deal to people when they're mourning because often we get this picture of God as just cold and calculated and, and when we read passages like this, we understand, you know, God, God does see, and and Jesus has been through what we've been through. And Goodwin, and it even says it on page forty-three. Goodwin's burden is to convince disheartened believers that even though Christ is now in heaven, He's just as open and tender in His embrace of sinners and sufferers as He was on earth. And so, that that simple truth brings so much comfort to people in their in their worst moments, whether it is a difficult circumstance or whether it is a sin that they just are having a hard time dealing with. The fact that Christ has conquered all temptation, even when we haven't, it is a comfort for us because we can trust in the gospel that he holds us secure. But also when we've lost someone that we love, we we, we know that we have someone who's sympathetic to our hurt, to our pain, to loss and mourning, and he's with us and all that. So it's it's so important as a pastor to, to, to remember these verses because... They, they provide such a salve to the wounds of of the she, of, of Christ's sheep when they hurt and when
1: they're in pain. so it, that's why it's such an important and incredible truth for me mm-hmm. yeah um, you know I really like on the same vein about halfway down 47 when he says Jesus is not Zeus, he was a sinless man, not a sinless Superman uh, and I really just love that he mm-hmm. said you know that Jesus had bedhead He he had pimples. Um, you know, he knows what it was like to you know have a sleepless night or to get stabbed in the back by a friend, and it really just kind of um, really hammers home the point that Jesus identifies with us and, and what uh, what life is like here on earth. And I really just think about anytime I think about this this truth that Jesus can sympathize with us, I always think about um, the Bible miniseries that was on a few years ago, and it might be on Netflix now. And there's one particular episode, and it was one of the stories where Jesus was teaching the crowd, and it got so big that he went to get in a boat to push off from the shore to teach, and as he got in the boat, the boat kind of shifted, and he he kind of fell off balance for himself, kind of had to catch himself, and it was just this simple kind of great cinematography just to show that he was a normal guy, that he lost his balance, just like we do sometimes, and it was just so simple, but such kind of a reminder that Jesus was one of us, that Jesus truly was a man. And so I love that he said that, that he was a sinless man, not a sinless superman. That is, that's really, really good. You know, when you think
0: about the adjectives that describe Jesus, Orkland just lists off a lot, a a bunch of adjectives on page 47, right under kind of where he was just talking about. Um, And we talk about Jesus as holy and perfect and loving and gracious. But when we think about I just, we don't think about these very often. That he was thirsty and hungry and despised and rejected and scorned and shamed and embarrassed and abandoned and misunderstood <laughs> and falsely accused and suffocated and tortured and killed and lonely and abandoned. I mean, when I think about all of those, those words, I don't know that I fully have experienced that state of, of suffering. And so I, I look at my own life and I know that my suffering is... Is nothing compared to that which he's faced? That in Jesus' humanity, he faced those the the most difficult of all circumstances in in his life. So,
1: mm-hmm. and that's really in in some ways, you know, kind of jump ahead just a little bit. You know, he kind of asked the question, but what about our sins? Should we be discouraged that? And this is on forty nine. Should we be discouraged that Jesus can't be in solidarity with us in the most piercing of pains? Um, and really, he kind of makes the point. He he kind of refers to C.S. Lewis. Um, you know, he talks about a man walking in the wind and how difficult it is to walk into a headwind. But we're, we're ones who have fallen down and given into that temptation to quit walking into that headwind. Headwind, Jesus is one who kept going. And so really he knows better than any of us what it's like to suffer and to be tempted. Because he, he continued to go and continued to suffer. And so really he suffered more than any of us. Right. Um, and so he, I mean, he identifies with us and really he more than identifies with us. Um, just to kind of go along with what you're saying, there. It's so interesting that no, now I, have to,
0: I have to note two things. Number one, when I read this chapter and I read on, I read C.S. Lewis. I knew you were going to beat me to the punch on C.S. Lewis <laughs> because you're a Lewis nerd, and yeah, I understand. That's true. Ryan on his desk has all uh, like a collectible set of all of Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and mm-hmm. so I knew that when Lewis, C.S. Lewis came up, he was going to beat me to the punch <laughs> on that. But you know, uh, the other thing when I was reading this chapter about really the temptation of Jesus and how he is sympathetic to our temptations, I was thinking about this illustration, this wind illustration, and I couldn't remember if it was, uh, honestly, I thought it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, and then I thought it was Piper. I wrecked my brain for who it was, and more even beat me to the punch, obviously, because yeah. it was Lewis. <laughs> but as we talk about that, let's really kind of hone in on for a minute, because that's, that's a weird thought, but... You know, just just think with me for a moment. You know, when we're when we're tempted by sin, the truth of humanity is that many of us we eventually bow down to that sin. Just kind of like Ron was saying, think of the that of a of an individual who's who's walking against the wind. I mean, think about someone walking against like a hurricane force wind, and that's kind of what it's like for us in temptation sometimes. And so, you know, we're walking against that wind. And eventually we say, this wind is absolutely too strong. I can't do it. And we lay down. And Lewis is saying that's much like what uh, humans do with temptation, that the longer that you go, the more complex temptation gets and the more difficult it gets to resist something. But think about the fact that Jesus, for 33 years, because he never sinned, he walked against that wind. He walked against that sinfulness all his life, the entire time in his life, and he never bowed down to it. He never gave up to it one time. So what Lewis is actually saying is that Jesus was tempted in an even more complex and difficult way than than we've ever experienced, because often we bow down to those in some of the preliminary temptations, whereas Jesus, as he continued to go on and move forward, he was tempted more and more and more, and that wind got harder and stronger. And so that's an incredible uh, picture of of how Jesus, in, in human form, in knowing the temptation of sin resisted it even though it was quite difficult and so that's just an incredible picture
1: yeah you know to keep going with that analogy a little bit not only was jesus kind of in that same headwind of life that we we deal with so he can sympathize with us but as you said like Jesus kept going into that wind longer and further than we ever could. So not only can Jesus sympathize with us, but he's also our example. He's one we can right. look to of how to deal with these temptations. That's why, you know, with students, we talked about last uh, last night on Wednesday night with Colossians chapter 3, when Paul says to kind of set your mind on the things above, mm-hmm. you know, turn your eyes to Jesus. And that's how we grow in holiness as we kind of turn away from this this world and set our minds on Jesus. And as that kind of great hymn says, the things of this world, you know, grow strangely dim. Um, and so Jesus is also our example. He can sympathize with us. He's also our example of how we deal with temptation, how we fight temptation. Okay, so and I, so that's, that's a great point.
0: But I want to think for a moment, because we, talk, we talked about sin in this passage quite a good bit. What about the opposite side? What about when, when we start to deal with um, grief and when we start to hurt, and when we struggle with our health, or when we go through difficult mm-hmm. moments, you know, part of the sympathy that Christ has for us is he's been tempted. But another aspect of it is that he has, in a sense, he's been, he's been tried. Like he has, yeah. he's, he has faced all sorts of difficulty. And so when we look at this, it, it does deal with that sin element, where, or, or not sin because Christ did not sin, but the temptation element. But on the opposite side of that, the, the trial zone, the fact that Christ has been through those things that, that, that we've been through, and even more so. And I love that, that uh, Ortland really handles that on page 48. Uh, the next to the last paragraph, he says, the tendency is for us to feel like we, the more difficult that life gets, the more alone we are. And as we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shared in. We're never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. And so when we look at that, I I love that picture that, that what we go through, number one, Christ has had even more of that pain. Number two that he endured that pain. He didn't just mm-hmm. he did he didn't bow to sin. He didn't use it as an excuse to sin, but rather he endured it. And then finally he shoulders it in the present for us. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of of the fact that he's gentle and lowly, but also that his uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It all goes back to that. That Christ, because yeah. of what he's done, has shouldered that burden and, and he is gentle towards us because he himself has bore the brunt of the wrath of God in both sin and then also in circumstance that he faced. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and we see that. We see, you know, examples of these trials all throughout the life of Jesus. We can think, you know, one of our favorite Bible facts everybody loves to tell us that, you know, Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible, which it is. Uh, but it's also this just profound verse that the king of the universe is weeping over the death of a dear friend and you know, of a loved one, and so, you know, we, we experience that too, and so we can look to Jesus, he's been through that same thing, and can sympathize with us, but I mean, we can look elsewhere in the life of Jesus, with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing, you know, death is imminent, and this, you know, difficulty he was going to face, and he weeps, and he cries, and he, he prays, we've all been through those experiences in life, or, you know, maybe one of the, you know, um, maybe one of the uh, the ones we can identify with the most is, um, in the most difficult time of Jesus' life, his disciples, especially Peter, his closest friends in life, just you know, they turned their backs towards him. In um, the most difficult thing he had been through, he was stabbed in the back and just um, really just ignored and forgotten about by his closest sure. friends. And so in all these different ways, you know, not just temptations, but these trials, Jesus has been through these same things, you know, that we go through in life. And so he is one we can turn to. That's exactly right. Such a good word
0: and such comfort for us in the midst of what we're facing right now. So, Ron,
1: what does you think? Anything else on this chapter you want to share? Um, yeah, just one last quote that I just love. You know, he kind of talks about at the bottom of 49 that, you know, this book's about the heart of Jesus, not necessarily the work of Jesus, even though they're both, you know, vitally important. He kind of says, you know, we're getting a little too far into the work of Jesus uh, and to kind of, you know, get back towards the heart of Jesus. He says, not only uh, can he alone pull us out of the hole of sin, but he alone desires to climb in and bear our burdens. You know, we love to say that um, it's Christ alone who saves us, but it's also Christ alone who desired to save us. Wow. Um, and so I just think that's such a wonderful truth and something, you know, that's just so encouraging.
0: That's so good. And I think just kind of as we conclude, I want to conclude with Portman's words. And it's on page 50, it's that last paragraph. It really summarizes this chapter so very well. But it says, If you are in Christ, you have a friend who. In your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. Man, how, how tired do we get of pep talks, right? Of people mm-hmm. who have absolutely no clue what's going on, but they want to try to give you a pep talk about what you can do better. I know that you know, so often the most damaging things that are said in a funeral home, at a visitation or at a funeral, are from well-meaning people who have no experience with what someone's going through, but they try to act like they do. And they say really, really hurtful things. They try to give someone a pep talk when people are just simply hurting. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't give pep talks. Jesus came into the world and endured and suffered and struggled. And so God's not lobbing down a pep talk. God sent Jesus. But it further says this He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up. And so we have this great God who loves us and who cares for us. But not only that, because we know that people that sometimes say those unintentionally hurtful things, they love us and they care for us, but they've also not been through what we've been through. But Jesus, he loves us and he cares for us, and he's been here and endured the things that we've endured, not simply to do that, but to save us from our sins. And that just to me speaks to this incredible God who loves us in a way that... uh, that's just hard to wrap our minds around sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Jesus is gentle and lowly, and he is more than able to sympathize with us. Man, good stuff. Well, guys, we're so thankful that you joined back in
0: for week four of our MHBC Book Club podcast. If you have questions for us, you can email us or call us, or you can comment in the comment section on Facebook or on our podcast page. So glad that you joined in, and we will see you guys next week.
1: See ya.